is Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. And for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival unto the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, that I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Uh, he continues praying and we skip to verse 14. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Good to be back. Thank you for welcoming back, uh, me back, Jared. It's, uh, it's good to be back. My name is Kenny, one of the pastors here, if we haven't met. I have been on... Um, a uh, time of sabbatical uh, for a few weeks and very thankful for that time uh, for Hannah and I to have um, time with God, time with each other, time with family, and uh, to relax. And I just want to say thank you um, to those who are part of this church that helped make that happen. And, um, and I am glad to be back, glad to be preaching today. I'm glad to be preaching on a nice, fun, lighthearted topic of uh, idol worship. Um, it's always great to just jump back in. Excited to be here. Let's talk about the golden calf. But I actually am excited uh, to talk about this because um, there's a way of reading this story sometimes where we just, uh, we just see, you know, it, it kind of happens so quick in the narrative where it's like they belong to God. I mean, just a few chapters earlier, um, uh, God had given Moses the covenant and Moses gives it to the people and they say, we will obey it. We will do everything the Lord says. And they had seen so many miracles and they had seen God bring them out of slavery after 430 years in Egypt. And they are just, um, they are committed to God. They have seen God, this God who brought them up out of Egypt and they say yes. And then how quickly things change. And the reason why um, we need to talk about this today, because the more we look at it, it's, it's our story. Does anyone know that? Yeah. The story that, that, that we just heard, that Joanna read um, for us from the text, is our story. It's a story of worship that gets misdirected, of, of worship that we commit to God and we've experienced him, but, but then we're in a situation where our worship goes 
somewhere else because all of life is about worship. Anyone know that? All of life is about worship. And that might sound funny, especially if you're here and you're not a believer yet, but I would say it's even true for you. The the world is not divided into worshipers and non-worshipers. It's only divided by where you direct your worship. We're, We're created with this. We can't help but innately pour out worship to someone or something. And and we're created to pour that out to God because he's the only one who's worthy of our worship. But if you're not worshiping God, it doesn't mean you're not worshiping. You will be worshiping something. You will be worshiping something or someone. You don't get to choose whether or not to worship. You only get to, the only choice you have in is where you're going to direct the worship that's coming out of your heart. I've heard it compared to like a, like a, a fire hydrant uh, hose, that you can't turn off the water. You can just grab on and point it to where it needs to go, but you can't shut it off. That's, that's how uh, worship is happening in our lives. And the, the biblical point of view, the Christian point of view, is this, that you really only have two choices when it comes down to your worship. It's either God or it's idols. It's either God, the creator of heaven and earth, and the creator of us who made us in his image, or we're worshiping something else that is an image that we're making into a God. We're either worshiping the creator or we're worshiping something that's been created by him. And do you see how out of whack that is? Anything, we don't think about idols that much, uh, probably. Most of us here in the West don't think of it too much. I mean, you might think of it like, I think of it when I go to the donut shop and there's like a little idol down there and some donut holes. Like, I think of it there, right? But we don't think of like the physical idols very much. We kind of think, well, that's either other cultures or that's uh, people who, um, that, that, that doesn't happen here much, but it happens. <laughs> it's just not as visible. It's anything in your life, anyone in your life can become an idol. Whether it's... Um, whether it's love, it's a romantic relationship, whether it's sex or a sexual experience or whether it's success, whether it's um, you just, you don't want to have a a lot, you just want to be comfortable and you want to be secure. Any of those things can become an idol when we put it in the place of God in our hearts. And that's what this passage is about. Anything... um, Here's how you can know if something is an idol. Anything that has become more important to you than God, that's an idol. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Where does your mind go when you don't have to think about anything else? That might be a clue to an idol in your life. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. Any any. One that you're addicted to for approval that only God can give you the approval that your soul needs. These are clues to idols that have been set up in our life. Whatever you look at in your heart and you say in your heart of hearts, I'll be okay if only I have that. But if that's gone, my life is crumpled. That's what an idol is. So this is not just some... Uh, random teaching, and everyone knows we shouldn't have a golden calf, but I would challenge you to think, like, there's a golden calf in your life. <laughs> and there's pro- if you're anything like me, there's more than one <laughs> golden calf in your life. There, there might be a whole shrine set up to these gods that can't satisfy. And that's why we need to hear about this today, because what you worship shapes your life. 
wherever you're, you can't choose whether or not you worship, but whatever you, you, you will be shaped by what you worship. You will be changed by what your heart is looking to. It will take you to a place, and it will either take you to freedom, true freedom, or it will take you to a form of slavery. If it's anything other than the one true God, it will enslave your soul. And I know in a pluralist society, that's offensive to say. It was offensive to say when God said it to the Israelites, you shall have no other God before me. But if it's true, I don't care if it's offensive. I need it. I need it. So, I titled the message today, Worship While You Wait, or Idol While You Idol. Uh, uh, Idol While You Idol. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> ah, but I want to talk about worship, and I want to talk about I want, to, I want us to see what the passage will teach us today about idolatry or about idol worship, about the practice of pointing our worship to things other than God. And I also want to talk about basically what idolatry is, what it does to us, and how we can be free from it. It's pretty much straightforward because it's a, it's a hopeful message that we have today. All right, you guys with me? Ready? We're good. We're here. All right. Amen. Hallelujah. First thing, um, idol worship makes sense in the moment. It makes sense in the moment. We read the passage and it says, um, you know, Moses went up to the mountain and then the first verse of this chapter, he was up there so long and then they just decided to make, they said, let's make a God. (laughs) Right? And so we think, oh, that makes no sense. You guys knew that. You're not supposed to do that right? But um, there's a few things that when you look into the context of the Israelites that they had come from, you begin to realize that it made more sense in the moment. And this whole Exodus story, Exodus is the, it's, um, it's the end of captivity, but it's only the beginning of freedom. They're not slaves anymore, but they still got to learn to live like the people that God has called them to be. And his point in calling them out of Exodus is not just to free them from slavery, but to show them what real true freedom is. And that's what he's doing even through this wilderness process. But here's some of the ways that made sense to to serve an idol, to make an idol. Well, one of them is everybody's doing it. If, if If you're from Israel's point of view, everybody, everybody's doing this. They had just spent over 400 years enslaved in the nation of Egypt. And Egypt was covered with gods, with idols. There was the sun god. There was, there was the god that was responsible for the Nile and gods of fertility and, and, and a god that looked like a cow that represents strength. And, and this was not just a random thing where they said, oh, let's have an idea. Let's make up a new idea of making a god in this shape. No, it was what they had been around. It's, it's the air they were breathing and the culture they were around. Everybody's doing it, not just in Egypt, but even in the promised land where they're headed. All the other nations are serving multiple gods that they can see and touch and that they have a level of control over, that they can see and they can say, okay, well, if I want want good crops, I'll go uh, give to this God. And if I want to have a good love life, I'll go give to this God. But in that whole system, who's in control? Yeah, the worshiper. 
I'm gonna, get this, I'm gonna give this God an offering and then I'll get what I want. And then I'll give this God an offering and I'll get what I want, right? It's, it's an attractive sense of worship because it puts the worshiper at least a sense of control. So everyone's doing it. Secondly, they feel abandoned. They feel, they, they've just been taken out of Egypt. They don't really have their sense of identity as a people yet, but the Lord said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. But Moses has been with them the entire time. And God speaks to Moses. He's been this mediator for the people. There's a constant sense of God's presence. Everywhere they go in the wilderness, there's a cloud in the air that's guiding them where they go, or a cloud of fire by night. Or when they, need, when they need to hear a word from God, God gives a word to Moses, and he gives it to the people. He's been there every single day when they were hungry, and then they prayed, and then manna came down, and, and when they were thirsty, and they needed water, and then Moses hit a rock. And now God calls Moses up to the mountain and says, I'm going to teach you uh, I'm going to teach you how to teach the people. And ironically, what he's giving Moses in that time is the instructions for building the tabernacle <laughs> to worship God because God wants to dwell among his people. And that's what he takes Moses up on the mountain to do. And Moses is up on the mountain. And imagine that you are the people of Israel. And a day goes by, no more Moses. Another day. Haven't heard back from Moses. He didn't even text. <laughs> <laughs> A week goes by. Okay. Another week goes by. Another week goes by. Another week goes by. Another week goes by. You're getting into the sixth week, and you still haven't heard anything from Moses. I thought God was with us. What is going on? Where is God? I thought God was going to be close to us when he brought us out. I thought that's what he brought us out for. Where is he? At least if we make a God, we'll know where he is. At least if we make an image of a God, we'll have a sense of, at least I, that's not going to abandon me. This is where it is. Idolatry, making an idol makes sense in the moment. First of all, because everyone in the culture is already doing it. If you want to know what the idols are of a culture, look at the things that people don't question. That they just go along with unceasingly. Idols make sense in the moment. Culturally, everybody's doing it. You get made fun of if you don't do it. That's what... That it looks like an idol, sounds like an idol... It's a duck. I mean, an idol. Um, that, that's one way we, we recognize it. We have, it makes sense to us to just go ahead and bow down to the idols that everyone else around us is in school or at work or on the job or in our family. Well, they think it's important. And I know God's word says otherwise. And I know we're supposed to have this view on it, but everyone seems to make sense. And by the way, I thought God was I thought God was going to be was going to meet these needs, but now I'm lonely and where's God? I thought when I got saved, God was going to fill this longing, but I just feel this longing right now and I haven't felt God in a long time, so I think I'm going to go ahead and Anyone? <clears throat> An idol makes sense in the moment, and what we do is we put a placeholder in the place of God, 
and it makes us feel in control because we're uncomfortable. It's been 40 days. I haven't seen Moses, haven't heard from God. Everyone else is doing it, and I'm desperate. So So before we read Exodus 32 and make fun of, oh, those silly Israelites, (laughs) when I read it, I'm a lot more humbled. (laughs) Idols make sense in the moment. Secondly, idols are take and make. Take and make. I heard shake and bake. Anyone remember shake and make? Remember, you might remember, if you're above a certain age, you might remember the ads. It's shake and bake. And I helped, right? (laughs) Shake and bake. Well, that has no relation to this, but it sounds alike. So idols are take and make. When they, when the people go and say, let's make a God. Let's make a God, and let, this, this is the God who will go before us and brought us out of Egypt. First of all, side note, like they go to Aaron, the first high priest. And Aaron had an p- opportunity right there to be like, hey, guys, remember the whole Ten Commandments? Like, the first one was don't worship any other gods, and the second was don't make a, an idol that represents our God, so we should just stop. Um, but that didn't happen. But what does he say? He says, take, hey, take your earrings. Take your gold earrings that everybody's wearing and give them to me, and we'll make an idol. You ever stop and think, where did this group of slaves just, who had just been freed have so much gold in the wilderness? They're not in a resource-rich area. They're not in a place where they're just scooping up gold out of the sand and, oh, let's make a great earring. No, they had been blessed with that gold. If you remember, while the plagues are going on in Egypt, God says to the people, when you leave, when I set you free, when you're on your way out, ask the people in Egypt for articles of gold and silver. And then that way, you're going to plunder the Egyptians. And when it happened, the Egyptians were so ready for them to be out here. Take the gold. Take the silver. And what God knew, what God had in mind was a blessing for them. And also, it was supposed to be used for the tabernacle. It was supposed to be used to worship and fellowship with God. And when the Israelites at this crucial point decide to make an idol, it's, it's the clearest picture to us of what, idol, uh, what, what idolatry is in our hearts. It's when we take the blessings that God has given us and we make it into an image and give it the attributes of God. They took the gold that God had blessed them with to be a blessing to them and, and to help them in worshiping him and to point them back for them to experience and remember how good God has, give, has been to us. Everything we have is a gift from him. Look at this gold that he gave us. And instead of glorifying God for it, they glorified the gold and said, look, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. took the glory that belongs to God and gave it to this image. They, they took um, this image and tried to give it the characteristics of God. This is the God who brought us out of Egypt. It's take and make. It's an exchange. It's the truth 
You're exchanging the truth for a lie. This is throughout the whole Bible. This is the principle that we get from idolatry. In Psalm 106, when, they're, uh, when the psalm is recounting this time of the wilderness of, of Israel's life, it, it says it this way. Um, it says that... Um, I actually don't have it written down. <laughs> I thought I did. But it says that they, um, that they exchanged the glory of God for the image of a cow. And in Romans 1, when it talks about what idolatry looks like in our hearts, it's that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And instead of worshiping the creator, we begin to worship the creation and say that this is what saves me. This is what only God, like we, we know only God does this, but this is what that, this does that for me. Is this tracking? Yeah. That's what idols look like in our heart. The, one of the marks of an idol is you think it can give you what only God can give you. If your idol is security, you will do whatever is needed to give you a sense of security. And you will think that those things that you're doing is what's saving you. But our security is only ultimately in God. If, if your idol is approval, you will do whatever is necessary to get that approval from the people that matter to you. Yeah, you may not be the, the type that needs approval from everybody, but there are some people in your life, if your God is approval, that if they disapprove of you, your world is over. It will crush you. That is, that is the picture of taking a good thing and making it into a God thing, making it into the ultimate thing and thinking that um, only this, um, this can give me what only God can give me. It's a, it's a quote that we've used here before, and I heard uh, Vince mention it a few weeks ago, but it's from Rebecca Pippert. She talks about this concept of idols being actually controlling us and she says this, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. power. The person who lives for acceptance by others is controlled by the people that he or she seeks to please. But one thing is certain, we do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. People debate, scholars debate on what what the Israelites were actually doing. Were they making a whole new God uh, that reminded them of Egypt? Or were they still saying that they worshiped God, but just choosing to worship God in their own way and have a visual representation of God? But either way, they're breaking the commandments. Because the first commandment is, you should worship no other God. And the second one is, don't make an image of me and worship it. So either way, if the feeling is, well, we want a different God because we don't like this one is doing, is doing to us, or if it's, well, we still love the God that, that we worship, but we're going to worship him in our way. So we're going to take it. We're going to make it. It's take and make. And Aaron helped. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. Oh. It's a, it's a deep cut. Um, all right. Third point. <laughs> uh, how are we doing on time? I have no idea. Okay. Third point. Um, first point, makes sense in the moment. Second point, it's take and make. Third point, worship will take you somewhere. 
Worship will change you. It will take you somewhere because we become like what we worship. You see a glimpse of it even in this story because they made the image of a cow and, and God, when he tells Moses what's going on, he basically compares them to cows. He says, they're stiff-necked. They're quick to turn away from the commands I've given them. You get this picture of you got some rebellious cows running wild. <laughs> and that's just a metaphor for the fact that we become like what we worship. But Psalm 115 says that, that, that those who worship idols, those who make them will become like them, and so will those who trust in them. Yeah. It says, idols that they have eyes, but they can't see, and, and they have mouths, but they can't talk, and they have feet, but they can't walk, and they have hands, but they can't touch. And those who make them will become like them, and so will those who trust in them. What's the point here? The more that we give in to idolatry, and the more that the le- when we're not aware of it, the more and more we become empty. Yeah. We become blind to the fact that we're worshiping something other than God, because that thing becomes bigger and bigger and bigger to us, even though it can't hear us and it can't help us. If, if you worship money and you keep worshiping money, you will become a materialist. And you will cut out everything else of your life that doesn't serve that idol. You'll go through marriages. You'll go through... Is this making sense? That's a picture of becoming like the idol that you worship. Over time, you become blind to it. You become deaf to anything else and you become hollow and empty as a shell. Worship takes you somewhere, and when we are, if we are engaging in idolatry, if we are letting the idols in our heart go unchecked, whatever that is, if it's, if it's love, if it's uh, uh, the re- a relationship with a family member, if it's success at work, whatever it is, if we're letting that go unchecked, we are not only worshiping ourselves into slavery we end up enslaved to an idol and we don't even know how we got there. But we're also worshiping our way into God's wrath. Because not only is it bad for us and it makes us a shell of a human being because God's the only one worthy of worship, not only does it lead us away from true freedom but into spiritual slavery, it's not just bad for us, it's a slap in the face to the God who made us. It's a slap in the face to the God who made us in his image to go and make another image and say, well, that's God. That's my God. It's not just bad for us. It's wrong. <laughs> it's the essence of sin, and it's worthy of punishment. And if, you look, if you're like me and you look inside, I, I, I think I said this earlier, but... Uh, Actually, I said this to, some, uh, I think to Dave earlier when we were praying. I was like, man, preaching about idol worship is, is a tough thing to talk about because um, it's so broad. It could be anything, but it affects everybody. Yeah. And then as we were talking, we are like, oh, it's also kind of an easy thing to talk about because it affects everybody. <laughs> and there's no chance of me getting up here on a high horse and being like, oh, I can't believe all you idol worshipers. <laughs> My goodness. But what I'm saying is this, if you're honest with yourself, in the times when I'm most honest with myself and I look in my heart, it's not even just one idol. 
It's a whole religious system. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling hopeless. I need to go to these idols. I'm feeling down and out. I'm feeling like people don't like me. I need to go to this idol. I, I'm feeling anxious. God gave me a promise that hasn't happened yet. I got to go to this idol. I'm feeling ostracized. Everyone else is doing this. I can't hold out anymore. I got to go to this idol. And when, when you do that, when you look at that, if you're honest, there's going to be times that you feel stuck, you feel joyless, you feel anxious, you feel unrest, you feel enslaved. Because that's what is going on in our hearts when our worship is not directed at God. But, but there's hope. But there's hope today. Sometimes you feel stuck. Sometimes it feels like um, uh, it's like, just stop it. <laughs> like, uh, there's this old skit. I think it was SNL or something, and it's a psychologist. And, and, and people, like patients come to him, and he's like, I only charge five bucks. <laughs> And uh, you can pay with cash or check, like, be you have to pay in advance. And so they're like, okay, yeah. And then they tell them this problem, and then you know, they pay him. And then he's like, okay, you want my advice? Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. And that's it. That's the, <laughs> that's the, and that's the whole skit. And it's kind of dumb, but it's also really funny. And I th- the reason I think it's funny is because we know it doesn't work that way. How many times in your life have you said to yourself, just stop it? And yet, it doesn't seem to work that way. There's a, a pastor who preached about this a few hundred years ago, um, a Puritan actually by the name of Thomas Chalmers. And he was talking about these desires that we have in our heart that, and use the word affections, the things that we long for, the things that we love because really when it comes down to the day you're going to choose what's most desirable to you i have a a a pastor in my family who used to say like after decades of ministry he's like here's what i learned people are gonna do whatever they want to do (laughs) there's a reality to that and there's a humility that it takes to admit that if you're saying, just stop it and it's not working, or uh, I messed up again, it's like, no, I chose that because that's what I wanted in my heart. And that's what seemed most desirable to me. And so Thomas Chalmers, when he's preaching this sermon, he gets to the bottom of that. And he's saying, we have, we have these desires for God, and, but we also have these desires for sin, and they can't coexist in the human heart. They're these two opposing affections, and one will always push out the other. You can't be double-minded if you're going to walk with God. One of these is going to push out the other. But he said the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new affection. I like those words. It's fun to say. Expulsive. Expulsive. It sounds like a plumbing word. I don't know. The expulsive power of a new affection. You can't just stop it because the it is always more than a behavior. It's rooted in your affections. 
It's rooted in something that makes sense in the moment. It's rooted in what you love. It's rooted in what you worship. Because we always choose that most desirable thing. We always choose what we love the most. And I love the way uh, Tim Keller says it, says it this way. Because idolatry is essentially about what you love. Repentance requires changing whom you love. Because idolatry is mainly about what you love. Repentance looks like this, changing who you love. Well, how do you do that? The heart wants what the heart wants, right? How do you change who you love? Well, it's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, and it's a work that maybe I can encourage you. If you're, if you're here and you're feeling the weight and you're seeing, if the Holy Spirit is putting the spotlight on your heart and you're seeing these idols and saying, how can I get free of this? I've tried to do this before. How can I? Can I just encourage you that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart? It's already begun. If you're here and you're in Christ, he has a hold of you, and he is working in your heart. And if you're here and you're not a believer yet, but you're hearing this message and you're saying, yes, that's true. Can I tell you, that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart already to change your affections and turning from other things, from the creation to the creator, the only one who's worthy of worship and the only one who's really going to give you what your soul needs and longs for. It's a work of the Spirit. And when it happens, it's beautiful. In the New Testament, we have a few uh, crazy pictures of it. In, in Acts chapter 19, that Jesus uh, had um, gone to the cross and been buried and, and resurrected and ascended. And now people were going out and preaching this gospel of forgiveness and of the kingdom. And, and Paul goes and he preaches in a city called Ephesus. And this was the center of worship of, of an idol called Artemis. And um, people came from all over the world to worship at this temple. It was one of the great wonders of the world. But when Jesus and the gospel came on the scene in Ephesus, people, people started turning away from idols. And they did it in such big numbers <laughs> that, the, the, that, the, that the guild, the business guild, the commerce department that made idols <laughs> got together and said, we got to do something about these Christians, man. They're putting us out of business. And it actually became a riot in the city. And the other, other thing that happened in the same city is people were, were addicted to sorcery and witchcraft. And there was these books of magical incantations and ways that you could have control over your life, right? Another way of idol worship. And when Christians turned to Jesus, they turned away from that stuff and they had a book burning, which I'm not always a big fan of, but in this case, I would say I'm a fan of. They, they had a book burning of all their, all their source, sorcery books. And it's worth, if you read the New Living, worth millions of dollars. If you read the other, it's basically saying it's worth 50,000 days wages. It's a work of the Spirit turning from idols. And when it happens in our hearts and in our churches and in our lives and our communities, it's huge. It will change this city the more that we allow the Spirit to work in us. It will change our hearts. He is changing our hearts. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, how do you change? How do you change who you love? And this is back to the, the sermon that I was mentioning, but happens when your heart is captured by a more desirable thing. It, it happens when your heart is captured by something that's more lovely. And I think you see that when you look at who Jesus is and what he did for you. We see a picture of it in this story with Moses. So 
Moses is up on the mountain with God. He's getting instructions for how to worship. And then God says, these people have messed up. <laughs> and they're, they're worshiping an idol. And you, you, have to go, you have to go back down there. And it's, I'm paraphrasing, all right? <laughs> um, but he's saying, they're serving this other idol. And my, my wrath is kindled. I'm ready to destroy them. And what does Moses do? Because he says, I'm ready to destroy them, and God could destroy them, and he would be totally just. And he would still keep his promises because he said, I'm ready to destroy them, and I will make a new nation from you. And Moses came from Abraham's line. I'm going like deep theology, Old Testament. But God could have done it, and it would not have been wrong, and he would have kept his promises. He says, I'm ready to destroy them. I'll make a new nation through you. And what does Moses do? He says, Sounds good. These people are bothering me anyways. (laughs) They've been on my back. No, Moses stands in the gap for the people. Moses, have you ever tried to argue with God? (laughs) Because that's what Moses did on behalf of other people. He intercedes. He says, no, God, remember your promises. Remember, you brought them out by your hand. Remember, other people are seeing, they're seeing your glory in these people. Don't destroy, he stands in the gap. And this is this amazing time in scripture where God, God relents. He doesn't destroy them. He goes forward with the commandment, with the covenant with them, which Phil talked about last week and did a great job. But Moses stands in the gap for the people, but Moses is just a dim picture of what Jesus does for us. Moses stood in the gap. Moses was the mediator. Jesus is the better Moses. You know what's interesting about that whole thing? That the, the people didn't even know that God was in on it and Moses knew about it. That whole conversation that saved their lives happened on a mountain that they weren't even part of the conversation. And Jesus When he mediates for us, he's on a hill of Calvary long before we ever knew who he was, long before we ever knew how much we needed him, long before we ever confessed our sin or knew about it. And yet he goes and he becomes the exchange for us. And he exchanged on our guilt and our sin for all the idols that are set up in my heart and your heart, all the things that we are so prone to wander God and look towards these things. And on a hill without our knowledge, in our place, he took on our punishment on the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the other thing. Other, these other idols, they could never love you. The thing that you're living for would never give you life if it's not God. It could never love you, and if you fail, if you live for success and then you make a big failure, you, that idol will never forgive you. You will never live it down. You will always hate that. You will always look back and regret. You will always think, I wish I could have. Is this tracking? Yeah. Other idols will never love you. They won't give you life. They take from you. You sacrifice for other idols, but Jesus, the one true God, became a sacrifice for you. He's the one true God. He loves you. When you didn't love him, when, were we, when we were his enemies, he loved us. He loved you so much. He died to forgive you, and he rose again to set you free and give you hope. And when you're in the wilderness times of life, you can know that God is going to use that 
God will use even that time to point your worship to him because only when it's pointed to him are you going to experience freedom. That's why we worship. That's why we gather here on Sunday. That's why we sing songs about Jesus, about this God who loved us so much to become that sacrifice for us in our place. And when you see that, when you come here on a Sunday, when you do your Bible reading in the morning, when you pray, when you get together and pray with friends, when you pray together as a gospel community, when you worship, you're reminded of that. And what God is using those times to do is to shape your life more and more by the truth of who he is. Just like whatever you worship, you become like, we have that hope as Christians. We are becoming more like Christ. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can keep us and separate us from the love of God. He is shaping us and conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus. We are becoming more and more like him. And when we fail, we don't grovel and try to to pick ourselves back up. We look to him. We look to him because he died for us. He took the punishment for us. And it warms our heart and it points us back to him. That's what worship does. And that's the reason we worship is because God has come to set us free. All right, I'm going to end. And I want to pray. I want to pray as we end. And I want to pray for God, for this to be a special time for you. I don't know... um, I don't know what situation that you walked in the door with, and I don't know what uh, is on the front of your mind right now, but I do believe by faith that God is speaking to some people here today. And I do believe that we haven't been given uh, the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the enemy may be using the thoughts in your mind right now to get you to look downward and to look inward and to look, think, I'm not going to get out of this. But if you belong to Jesus, that voice, it's as silly as the, just stop it, guy, right? Because Jesus is holding you. (laughs) Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin. He rose again so that you have hope of eternal life. You're not going to be in the wilderness forever. There is a promised land. And the wilderness isn't pointless. He's going to use it for your good. He's going to use even your failures. He can redeem that for good because only God can do that. He redeemed this failure of Israel because we're learning from it today and it's speaking to us. How many thousands of years later, it's speaking to our hearts. God is a redeemer and God is here to redeem you today. So if you would, if you would bow your heads with me and close your eyes and I just want to pray. The band can go ahead and come up, but I want to pray for us here today. Father, we just thank you. We thank you so much for the power of your word, God. I know that when I stand here and speak, it's not on my authority and it's not my ideas that give me any authority. It's the authority that comes from the word of God and it's from the power of the spirit speaking. And so, Lord, I stand here humbly just wanting to be a vessel and wanting to point to you, God. You know how guilty I am of serving idols. You know how guilty we are 
each of us and individuals, how easy it is, how prone we are to long for something visible and tangible that makes us feel like we're not alone and that we are in control. But God, you are the only thing that's worthy of worship, and you are the only one who's good for us. You're the only one who leads us to freedom, not slavery. And so I just pray for the people that are here today, my brothers and sisters. I pray for guests. I pray for all who are here right now. I just pray for an encouragement and a hope, and I pray for faith to rise up in the name of Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and we are here today to testify to your word that your word is true and your spirit is powerful and you've come to set us free. And so today, I, I just believe that today can be a moment of victory for someone. Yeah. I know that you work in a process through our whole life, but you also work in powerful moments. And so I just pray for that, for someone here today who needs to be reminded that you have not abandoned them, you've not let them go. Even if it seems like you're absent, you're not. Lord, you're with them, and you are worth it. And you love them. God, I just pray. I pray for that. I pray that someone who's here today who needs to hear that and needs to receive it will begin to receive it, Lord. That they would not block it and not say, oh, well, he's supposed to say that. He's a pastor. But they would say, no, that's the word of God and I receive it. I just pray for a powerful move right now. And I pray, um, I pray for a joy-giving repentance, Lord. There's sorrow in repentance, but it's godly sorrow. It's sorrow because we've hurt your heart and we've done wrong against you, but there's joy that comes at the end of it, Lord. Because we're turning away from what kills us and turning to the one who gives us life. We're turning away from eternal death and turning to eternal life. And so I just pray for a joyful repentance over the next few minutes in this church, Lord. And we, we just invite you, God, move. Move in a powerful way, God. Lord, there's, there's wounds, there's deep wounds, there's deep trials right now, God. We just pray. We know that you haven't left. We know that you're near. We know that you're here this morning. So I just pray for these next few minutes. Bless this time. Help us to, to step closer to you, Lord, because you will draw near to us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.